even though you would sometimes disagree with him, he would listen. There are things that we can be doing right now to have open dialogue, to get public input, and to be able to make solid decisions for the state of Alaska. You know, politics, Mr. President, in my estimation, is a character test. listening to the Empty Office Podcast. My name is Mike Mason. I am joined today by Senator Lukey Gale Tobin and former Senator Tom Begich. And Tom, I just wanted to ask about that former senator title. <laughs> uh, how does that feel? And what are your observations about uh, not being in office? You know, and, um, there's, a, there's a line in um, Lord of the Rings where the phrase is, I am diminished. You know, and that's, you kind of, it's kind of okay. You know, I um, enjoyed the rapport in the office, and I enjoyed the hard work. But the job itself is a very, very difficult job. You know, and I've heard that on the podcast uh, reflected in Senator Tobin's comments, and uh, and so I would say um, the the first observation is it's it was it took a short while to get used to. The second observation was, oh, this is what life was like prior to being in office, and that was kind of uh, not just revealing, but um, a little bit refreshing. And final observation is. You don't get as many calls. And Senator Tobin, I thought perhaps I would ask you, what are your comments to your former boss and, uh, and uh, mentor about the new job of Alaska State Senator? Wow, that's a big question in terms of what would I like to say that I haven't already said. Tom and I have a great relationship. We talk frequently. We're still doing a lot of projects and activities that we had started uh, prior to this shift in our dynamic and one piece that just keeps resounding in my head is how tiring the job really is. And it's, it's, it's not as though it's overwhelming to the point where you can't perform or that you are unable to be effective. It's the fatigue of knowing that so much of Alaska is struggling, that hearing the stories from constituents that are absolutely at the rock bottom and having to keep that in the back of your brain, or hopefully if you're an empathetic, caring person, you have that just repeating in the back of your brain. And then also having to navigate and talk about somewhat superficial things, like where the office placements are, or <laughs> who's taking whose parking spot. And also understanding that those pieces need to be included so that you can be effective, so that your authority and your reputation in the building isn't one of non, uh, what's the right word here? It's not one of not being a team player or not being uh, assertive or not having a understanding or your finger on the pulse of what is happening in the institution. Because if you don't think those things are also as critical you're going to be ineffectual in your job. And I think that's one of the hardest parts that I have been learning is Tom always knew what was happening in the building and also had a very strong empathy for what was going on outside these doors. And I had the assumption that what was happening in this building wasn't as important. And now I know it's probably some of the most critical piece. It, it, you know, it all, if I could just jump in there, it all, link, it all links up. It, and your ability to realize different things motivate different people. And to authentic, to be authentic in your ability to understand what those things are, and then to meet them at that place is actually it's the key to community organizing. It's also the key to, to legislative organizing, and it makes all the difference in the world. 
But there are moments, and I don't want to leave the impression that somehow, and I know you don't either, that uh, somehow, um, you know, you can barely get through a day in the job. You get these great interactions with constituents and these great interactions with moments where you where you see you've turned a key and opened a door, and that becomes reinvigorating uh, and refreshing and makes you even better at what you do. Yes. I, I said in our earlier podcasts that it's hard when I walk into rooms of mixed folks to not just start talking about politics all the time <laughs> yes. because it is invigorating. It is, it is exciting. And it's something that I want to share with what I'm learning with everyone around me. And I suddenly realize that my girlfriends or my spouse or other non-legislative folk don't necessarily see it the same way that I do. They do see it as draining or they do see it as uh, overwhelming. And it's hard to pull it back and say, okay, let me show another part of who I am, which is probably some of the best advice you ever gave me, which is be three-dimensional in this work. You can't uh, go two-dimension, and it will absolutely erase you. So you, you bring up a good point here, too, which is I had to learn to stop talking and start listening, or at least do check-ins with people in other environments that were non-political to make sure I wasn't overwhelming people with these thoughts because your brain is going 100% of the time in the job if you're going to be effective at the job. I mean, there are a lot of people who aren't effective at the job and their brains aren't going 100% of the time, but yours will be. You know, Mike, I'll say this about our staff too. And we always talked about us as a team and, and it was we work together, not they work for me. And I think that, that that permeates good staff work, and I've seen it in this office as well now. I wanted to ask about the, uh, the Alaska Senate majority. Um, I've spoken to uh, several people, and uh, a lot of people credit you with um, perhaps laying the foundation of what is now being built in the 33rd Alaska legislature with the new Senate majority. Do you take any credit, or do you, do you believe that, or, or was that even purposeful? that you were trying to lay the foundation for this new bipartisan coalition? Well, I mean, we laid the foundation, not me per se, but um, back when I became minority leader in 2019, I asked my caucus what they wanted. And jokingly, my caucus said, we want to be in the majority and we want to have input on reapportionment. I said, okay, <laughs> those are my walking orders. I built a decent relationship, and I've heard you describe it in the past, uh, Lukey, and um, with Senator Giesel and then after her, Senator Chickie and with other members of the Senate, but always with those two ideas in mind that at some point we will, we, we, if not in fact, if not you know, legally be a majority, we in fact would become one. And so, I mean, to some degree, sure, I was involved with it, but it took a team. One person doesn't make this building move. It takes a lot of people working together, working in tandem. It takes listening. It takes paying attention to everyone's needs. That spectrum you described, Lukey. And uh, that's how you get there. But surely the work we did for four years helped set the foundation. But remember, there was once a majority coalition before, Senator Ellis and Senator Stevens and others were involved with. That also set the tone. I think one of the key parts that I learned from you is to always be transparent, not necessarily in strategically, but to lead with your value of authenticity and trust. And one of the things I loved about working for the Alaska Senate Democrats, is there wasn't backstabbing. There, there wasn't this tenor of trying to triangulate folks and make them look bad. Everyone was given an opportunity to shine. And one of my favorite pieces of advice, which I have many, and I will share them 
uh, prolifically in this podcast, is that you've always discussed giving people a way to be successful, whether it's an off-ramp or it's an opportunity for them to continue on to where they need to go. And I have used it now with my staff repeatedly, which is you cannot back someone into a corner because if there's no way for them to find a a new direction to go in, they're just going to fight like hell for something they may not necessarily want to defend. And you don't learn that by reading a book. You learn it by making mistakes by backing people into corners and realizing, I, you know, you've done that. So you also have to learn to be apologetic and, and mean it. You know, um, I'll tell just a, a, a 30 second piece here. I, I um, had a, a vehicle interaction with a young man the other day where my, his car hit my car or as he put it, my car hit his car. You know, it was difficult to understand, but I got angry and I was feeling tension. I felt anger and I, and I, you know, cursed a few times and he gets out of the car and he comes up and goes, why are you angry? And he's, and I'm, I can't de-escalate. This, this young man calmed me down and he said, I'm not looking for anything. I just want to know that you shouldn't be yelling at me. You know, and you forget sometimes and you back somebody into a corner and you lock yourself into a place. It's good to be reminded that um, we're all fallible. And so I've tried to take those lessons and apply them. I, I see you doing it. I see others doing it. That's what will make any legislative body successful. Always give an off-ramp. There's always a way. So Senator Tobin has been chosen to uh, lead the uh, Senate Education Committee, and the kind of the first order of business is to try to achieve the the number one priority of the new uh, uh, majority coalition, and that is to increase education funding. A bill has been introduced to raise the uh, base student allocation. Uh, Senator Begich, since uh, education policy was one of, uh, well, I guess is the is one of your driving forces. What are your thoughts about increasing the base student allocation? And is that the appropriate way to address the kind of the education funding issues here in the state of Alaska? Absolutely, it is. Adequacy uh, in education is what we've talked about in the Moore lawsuit, the Kasaili lawsuit. This is building on that work. There, you know, we are woefully behind in meeting uh, and just keeping up with inflation. This, uh, this idea that the best way to keep a house warm is to turn the heat off doesn't make any sense to me at all, which is the idea of constantly cutting education as some sort of a punishment. What you have to do is assess what's going on, which we have done, which is what the Reeds Act was all about as well. You have to assess where you can make incremental change and where large change has to occur. And there has to be accountability. That's the other thing that we learned. And accountability means different things to different people. But fundamentally, it's not about whether you do or don't test right. It's whether your kids can actually read, whether your kids have learned, and whether they're retaining uh, the ability to function as adults eventually. What I see in moving and increasing the BSA is a synergy that's happened. There are members of the House majority and most of the members of the House minority, most of the members of the Senate majority, if not all of them, as well as the governor moving in that same direction. This work by Lukey in the Education Committee and what what is a profoundly different Education Committee will make all the difference if it can reach fruition with the House. That's what it will come down to. I think you'll find the governor amenable. It may not be quite the increase you're looking at, but it will be an increase that has to happen and has to be substantial. That is exactly where this majority should be going. Moving our view from the Senate to the House... What are your thoughts about the makeup of the House and the 33rd Alaska Legislature and it's the prospects of getting really good public policy uh, through that through that organization? It was always going to be difficult with the even split between the former majority coalition and the current uh, majority. 
you know, it was roughly 2020 when we came into, uh, you know, out of the election cycle. That meant that without any kind of um, a larger coalescing of the groups, there would be virtually, it would be virtually impossible to move controversial uh, issues. I and others advocated that either um, former Speaker Stutz, uh, Minority Leader Tilton, build a broader, larger caucus that would include uh, great numbers of either of the groups. And in fact, one proposal I had heard was that why not you know, open the caucus doors and anyone who wants to come in and meet these particular principles do so. Both uh, Representative Tilton and now Speaker Tilton and uh, Speaker Stutz and now Representative Stutz saw in their caucuses those same basic values, education being a top one. But there are personalities that get in the way because when one group or another group organizes, it requires you to either make uh, tactical adjustments and who becomes chair or um, policy-based adjustments as to who becomes chair. I think that because it was a tactically formed coalition as opposed to a policy-formed coalition, most of those committee chairs have been chosen tactically. That reduces the opportunity to have great policy success. One thing I find very interesting is the public's lack of understanding of how caucuses work. Mm. The, the idea of what is a binding caucus, the idea of why have these groups, what is the, the role of them. And now that I'm in the building, I recognize that you need to have kind of a, a general direction that you're headed in, but that doesn't mean you all agree on the same things. It doesn't mean there is exactly. a contention. And one thing I really appreciated was being a member of your staff when it was a very small caucus group. But even in that small caucus group, there was still disagreement on some very basic principles mm -hmm. that we as Alaskans are still struggling with today, like the size of the permanent fund sure. or around uh, women's reproductive rights. How is it that you navigated these different interests? How is it that you found a pathway forward that kept your group strong and cohesive? Well, a part of it was not being locked into a specific set of, of plans. And so even you aren't in this caucus that you're now in. You guys have said these are our basic principles, increase in education, energy, you know, sufficiency or, or lowering energy costs, you know, working on some type of long-term fiscal solution. But note that you haven't said, and this is the roadmap that will take us there. You have to remain nimble. Within our own caucus, when there were objections, we found, oh, well, so, okay, let's say we disagree. You guys want uh, maybe a zero dividend and you guys want a full dividend. What is the tactical thing we can do with this to help move forward the policy goal of ensuring that we, you know, we have the ultimate goal, which was a, a balanced budget and the potential for revenue? That was the fundamental thing. The dividend was only a piece of that. So you, you have to look at each of these items individually and be nimble enough to, to retract a position you may have to move forward a broader position. So what is the ultimate goal? An educated population that is engaged and invigorated in the state of Alaska and ultimately self-sufficiency for the state's economy. If you know that that's your goal, then how you get there can change. You just have to have the willingness to see the change. And that's, that's what I loved about the Alaska Reads Act. I think there was a few times that you talked me off a pretty significant <laughs> cliff because you kept reminding me it was about the policy. It wasn't necessarily about the pathway that we got there. Because the pathway will change. Pathway the language will change. will change. The approach will change. Fighting over words is not fighting over policy. It's fighting over words. And often good public policy can, can indeed be good politics. Yes, it can. And, you know, I, I always remember that famous quote uh, from Austin uh, 
you know, when um, he was a reporter for KTUU, and he, he, he looked at Tuck and said, how do you do this? How do you make your minority work? You know, and Chris was minority leader in the House, and Chris responded, well, we tell the truth. And Austin said, well, man, truth is great optics, you know, and it's good politics. A question that I asked of uh, Representative Tuck, and he gave me an answer I did not expect. If you could take one former lawmaker that you served with or that you, you knew and plop them into this building and they get to they get a vote, who would that person be and why? Well, that's an interesting question. It would probably be Hugh Malone for me, um, though there are two close contenders, Max Grimberg and Terry Gardner, but probably Hugh Malone. Uh, Hugh's ability in the building to be thoughtful and to listen was legendary, and I witnessed it firsthand. I, I consider Hugh my mentor in terms of how I got into politics. I came as a 20-something down to this building, and a couple times he would invite me to dinner at his house. He lived in the same apartment, by the way, right, uh, right where uh, Chris Tuck and, and Scott Kawasaki lived. So I'd go in there and I'd have these dinners and they would be far reaching. And then one day we had a meeting with the governor. And again, I'm 20 at the time, I think it was 22. And we're all sitting at the governor's long table and Hugh passes me a note and says, it's your turn. And, you know, I had to make a statement and do a thing. And uh, just his ability to watch a room, it wasn't just legendary, it was effective. Um, He barely ever got elected by large numbers. He had his own opinions and sometimes would even really irritate people. But, but his ability to move policy, quite a thing. He would enjoy this environment right now. So before we wrap up, I, I want to ask you to, to provide a piece of advice, not political, but just <laughs> like real-world advice on how to get through the day for a new lawmaker uh, in the Alaska State Legislature. What do, when they get up in the morning, what do they need to make sure to do? Well, I always tried to get up as late as I could in the morning, <laughs> quite frankly. But um, what I would say and have said to Luki before she was elected and have repeated is you have to have a life outside of it and you have to remember that life and you have to act on it. I chose because I was a musician to have a guitar in the office and that was my way of, of at any given moment during the day I could remind myself of where I came from and that's what I would say. You have to, if you have a standing yoga appointment, go do it and the work will still be here when you get back. And uh, you'll be able to go on. But if you decide to simply live in the life, your life in the building, you will become nothing but a part of this building and you will become two-dimensional. And that will be the end of your policymaking days. That's, I love that your wife's advice was very similar to me, that you both know me so well. She reminded me to get a yoga mat for the office. And uh, can I ask uh, how, how charged up your phone is right now? Like oh, you know, it's funny. Um, beca- <laughs> because I was uh, listening recently to one of your podcasts, I think my phone is at 36%, but let me look real quick. Okay. Uh, uh, Senator Tobin, what's your what's your phone at? Do you know? Uh, uh, it's uh, currently plugged in because it was dead when I walked into the office. I would just like to say that mine is like at 83% charged. So, uh, Tom Begich, how? how, how? 44. <laughs> okay. so, and, and believe me, it was dead today when you texted me earlier today. It was It had died. So, there you go. So you've been listening to the Empty Office Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we'll uh, see you next time.